Hello, everybody. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Thinking Drinks podcast around the world in 80 drinks, which, as the name suggests, is a podcast that celebrates uh, the world of drink, the fantastic world of drink and great drinks from around the world. And welcome to part two of our rum guide. This is a special mini series on the history of rum, and we're delivering it to you with the help of Diplomatico Venezuelan rums. Uh, thanks to the ongoing success of our brilliant podcast, because thousands of you are downloading it. Uh, Diplomatico Rums came to us and said they'd like to work with us on this little mini series. They said they'd provide us with lots of rums. We said, yes, obviously. We of got lots we of rums sent for them. <laughs> Of course we did. And uh, they have a fantastic range of rums at Diplomatico. So it gives us an opportunity to taste different rums as we talk about the amazing history of the spirit, as well as the fantastic cocktails that you can make using rum. So we're going to go through all of that in this part two of the mini series. If you haven't got any rum, hit pause, hit stop, go onto the Whiskey Exchange, order some rum. It'll come very quickly. The Whiskey Exchange is brilliant at delivering directly to your door. So get some rum because this will be a lot more fun if you drink some rum with us. We're also going to be making a cocktail at the end, an old fashioned. So uh, to fast forward to the end or look on the socials to see the recipe for that, and you can make it along with us. But thank you. Thank you for choosing our pod. Yeah. I'm Tom Sandham. I'm one of the thinking drinkers. I'm joined, as ever, by Ben McFarland, the other thinking drinker. How are you, Ben? I'm very well, Tom. I'm very excited. Um, I'm pumped. It's lovely to see you in your funny little face. Thank you, mate. Yeah. Uh, that's what a lovely thing to say. Yes. And uh, it has been two weeks since we've recorded a podcast. As we said to the listeners, we'd be doing these fortnightly as we try and finish our book, Deadline Looming. And yeah. uh, we, we really do need to write that book, which mm. will be out next year. The Drink Less, Drink Better, Thinking Drinkers Almanac. Look out for that. So yeah. we th- said we'd do this fortnightly. So we've been true to our word. And in that time, we have been doing some pretty amazing things. Haven't we, Ben? We've been. Yeah, I wasn't um, going to talk about that. Oh, uh, yes, going up to Birmingham. Yes, we went to Birmingham, didn't we? We went up to Birmingham, did some filming um, with the excellent Spark Media dudes. Uh, Big shout out to Danny, Paul, Max, and the rest of the crew out there. Uh, All lovely chaps, and they're very good at filming stuff, visual stuff. Wacky stuff. Um, uh, Editing, and they've got a boom. They've got got all the mod cons. They have. Tom, uh, who's on the sound, who was holding the the Yeah, he's good. He holds it up. Uh, That little fluffy thing. Looks like a small dog. Um, Yeah, it's good. Um, And we did some filming for a project we can't really tell people about because it's uh, top secret. But we'll probably be hitting um, IMAX cinemas any day now as soon as they can Mm. let us so um Mm. yeah it was great and we were up there at the black country museum where peaky blinders is filmed and we did a lot of filming and i showed sophie my wife um some of the footage and she looked at this black country museum (laughs) that's deliberately built like uh is it the 1800s probably about the 1800s isn't it industrial revolution yeah i mean uh and she said oh Birmingham looks nice, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> it did yeah, 200 mean, years southern, ago. was a southern dipshit. Um, um, anyway, uh, it was really good. It was. Mm. Um, we had some Bovril, which was lovely. That was the highlight for me. Um, mm. We dressed up as Peaky Blinders and drank some Bovril. It's a liquid gravy. Yeah, it's nice. I liked it. I enjoyed it. And I went to the Black Country Museum when I was... At 14, I think, as a school trip, and it's uh, it's a brilliant museum. Shout out for the Black Country Museum. Has it changed pandemic. much? 
since you went? It has, yeah, because they keep buying up stuff. Apparently, they bought another street of uh, of buildings that haven't been touched, um, and they're going to add to it. It's a working museum, so everyone dresses up. It's a bit 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 unusual. You go in there, and everyone's in character. But it's uh, they've got working ironworks and they've got a working pub. More importantly, yes. so we actually filmed in the pub and drank uh, drank old ales. It, it was br- it's a brilliant museum. So so go. Uh, the other thing you did, uh, which you must take responsibility for, really? uh, credit for, was the Instagram post uh, on the. The oh swans, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I mean, swans, it wasn't that went that went viral, Ben. It did go viral. So I'm on quite a social media whiz kid. Um, but it was what it was. It was a little picture from Viz magazine, of which we're both massive fans. Mm. We still buy it, um, and I get a Viz annual every year for Christmas, and it's still brilliant. And they had a thing on uh, Instagram where it was an advert um, urging people to retrain as swans, which, in light of Rishi Sunak's um, advice for the people in the arts, and we're loosely, very loosely, part of that crowd, I imagine. Um, yeah, it was a little bit patronising, uh, mm. insensitive. But anyway, it was we're going to retrain as swans, uh, and then one of the <laughs> the training you could say, well, it was honking. Was does honking mean anything else? Because everyone just was laughing. <laughs> yeah. It's honking. There's yeah. Anyway, what is it? Is it sexy time? <laughs> I'm pretty sure there's some. Sort I've of never word. heard that. I've never heard honking because mm. lots of people are going honking. <laughs> I was like, it's funny. But I thought honking, like being sick, was honking, maybe. Maybe it's something to do with dogging. <clears throat> yeah, there was a couple honking of Honking the horn in... while you're dogging or something like oh, that. Oh, yeah. Um, I don't know. I'm just, I'm just throwing that out there. I have no man, idea. There's a man who no. lives <laughs> metres away from a layby. Um, so there we go. Well, uh, yeah, so we're viral. We're quite cool. Um, yeah. And, uh, that was good. Yeah. Well, we'll be back in theatres soon, despite what the uh, Burks at Westminster yeah. are saying about theatres and uh, retraining. Oh, did, you, did you hear morons? Did you hear PMQs when, uh, or what? No, the briefing uh, Boris Johnson handed over to Richard Sunak. He went, he went, thanks, PM. What a whoa! You can sick. say DM for Danger Mouse. You can't say PM. <laughs> yeah. oh. Awesome. PM. Oh, there's such a bunch of bellings. <laughs> regardless, regardless of your political persuasions, Come on, you have man, to accept these guys are absolute buffoons, and uh, it's it's just got something's got to change there. And and we will be back in theatres when when theatres reopen. Oh. Everyone who's listening to this and everyone who wants to go out, they're going to be desperate to come out. And they can come see our new show, which is a pub quiz. So we're going to be doing yeah. a pub quiz in our pants on stages, giving out free drinks, including the stuff we're tasting in these podcasts, Diplomatica. Seamless segue, Tom. It was, wasn't it? It's a world of company in theatres. We are here doing this. And we left part one uh, midway through Rum's history. We thought we'd split it into two. And we left it at a point where Rum was very successful. It was doing quite well for itself. One area of the history we didn't touch upon, Ben, were pirates. Yes. Let's talk about pirates, Tom. Pirates loved rum. Uh, everyone knows that. And the most famous and most infamous pirate in history and a renowned rum drinker was Blackbeard. He loved rum so much when he died, his skull was turned into a punch bowl um, and from which uh, his friends drank rum. 
Um, but the, he was called Blackbeard, Tom. Do you know why he's called Blackbeard? Why was he called Blackbeard, Ben? Because he had a black beard. It was a remarkable oh, coincidence. Very good. Was it a naval beard? No, Tom, it was on his face. I heard he ran a successful boat building business from his mum's attic. Yep, sales went through the roof. Mm, and he regularly set sail from Poole. In Dorset? I will then. Yes, it's lovely this time of year. Uh, pirates like Blackbeard, they ruled the seas, they drank rum, they attacked ships, they seized riches, and they did all of this without an engine in their ship. That sounds truly awe-inspiring, Tom. Mm. I can't think of any more uh, boat puns. Canoe. No, Tom. No, I can't. Now, let me tell you a little bit more about Blackbeard. As well as being a notorious rum drinker, Tom, he was also the inventor of drinking games. His favourite game being getting all his shipmates below deck. And then what you do next, you get massively, massively merry on rum. And then all of a sudden, he'd blow out the candles. And then he'd start firing his gun. Bang, bang, bang. There he was shooting salty semen in the dark. And if he hit someone, that meant that man could not be trusted. The game would go on until someone got shot or Blackbeard got bored. Now, overzealous human resources legislation means you cannot have that kind of fun in the workplace anymore. And that very same overzealous human resources legislation means that the British Navy is no longer given rum. Because back in the day, the British Navy were partly paid in rations of rum. It had started off with a beer ration, but the beer spoiled in the heat. So they switched to brandy. But then the British fell out of love with the French. And they, so they switched from rum, they switched from brandy rather, to rum. And they were given half a pint of rum a day. And this went on until, 90, until 1790, until the British government realised that this was no foundation on which to build a British Empire. So instead of replacing the rum with something more sensible, like water, they merely diluted the ration. One part rum with two parts water and grog was invented. Now, the rum ration was officially withdrawn on 31st of July, 1970, Black Tot Day. But that meant that in the 1960s, British sailors were still driving nuclear submarines massively banjaxed on rum. What a laugh that must have been. But don't drink and sail. Um, another famous pirate turned privateer was uh, Sir Francis Drake, who we talked about last week, didn't we? We did, yeah. He was, uh, he was given licence to plunder by the, by the Queen, who quite fancied him, I think. Um, yeah, but was a we a did talk about him because we talked about the daiquiri and the mojito. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he 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 um, apparently cured. He gave his crew rum with mint and limes to to cure scurvy and to keep mm. up, up their morale. Um, and he he um, had his ship was the Golden Hind, and he attacked the Spanish famously called the Cacafuego. And what does that translate into, Tom? Buy a shitter, apparently. Buy a yeah, shitter, yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I don't know if that's really a benefit to a ship, if it's shitting out. I've had a few um, like that after. Yeah, but a, a wooden help, boat shitting out fire? No, well, I mean, it's scary. Yeah, um, definitely. I think twice definitely. about attacking it, but he did, mm. and he stole the largest bounty ever recorded. Um mm the equivalent today of 100,000 million, which I think is a billion. Is it? 
I can't give it to the old billion a, thing. I think it's a, a billion, billion American. A million, anyway, million is meant to be a billion, I always think. But um, the American big are. bucks guy. Yeah. Big bucks. He he was he was naughty, and um, he also just bring it back to uh, Diplomatico, which is one of my, it's definitely my favourite rum time. I don't know if I've ever mentioned it. <laughs> Obvs. Um, but he um, he tried to attack Venezuela in 1595 because mm. it's owned by the Spanish. He thought I'll have a bit of that. He'd already given the Spanish a right good spanking, so he thought I'll attack Venezuela. But uh, um, his surprise nighttime raid on the colonial city of Maracaibo hmm. um, was uh, was scuppered by the fact that this part of the world is the most lightning prone place on earth with on average thunderstorms occurring on 297 days a year. So that's, that's a lot, isn't it? That's a lot. Hmm. So what happened was as, Dr- as Drake and all his ships are trying to sneak in to the port under cover of darkness, the there was these huge lightning flashes and regular flashes lit lit, lit up the horizon and the night watchman that was there he was he could spot the silhouettes of Drake's ships so he alerted the military garrison stationed in the city and they came out and they opened a massive can of warpath on on Drake mm-hmm. and he and he, he had no defense he was lit Drake literally Tom was a sitting duck. Ah, I like it. I was going to do something. I do. I was frantically thinking of things like um, thunder. He he was he was ushered off with thunderous applause and proved he was a bit of a flash in the pan. Um, But that's Uh, as far as I could get. And you did that. The Drake one. Um, I was was, just left me reeling. Really, he went. uh, He he uh, tail between his legs. No, that doesn't make sense. Yeah, I was going on the lightning thing. If you didn't get that, yeah, no, I know, I know. <laughs> uh, my p- um, picture behind me, talking to pirates. Did you see mine? Oh, For those of you who listen to the audio, well done. Uh, download, tell all your friends about the podcast. But we also record these on video now, which go out on our Facebooking and mm. uh, and various other social platforms. Yeah, all uh, our so socials we do some, guy. We do some funny pictures as we go through this to help illustrate some of the stories we're telling. And I found this picture of. One-eyed Willie, yeah, who is the pirate in the Goonies. Yes, is a brilliant film. Isn't brilliant it? film. And they find lots of pirate treasure. At the what end. age do you think you you? What's the earliest stage you can watch the Goonies? Because I've got a well, this is yeah. They can watch it now. It's not scary, but it's whether they actually appreciate. I don't know. One-eyed Willies. Nah, I don't know. My kids are watching Jurassic Park now. Really? I do wake up with nightmares every night, but you know, uh, no. Joseph is is seven this week. In fact, happy birthday, Joseph! If you're listening, <laughs> hope you're not. Uh, but one he's day he'll be shamed. If he's not in therapy before, he will be now. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so no, he's he's into Jurassic Park, and I just don't think he'd appreciate the the sense of adventure about the, the no. Goonies. He loves one of his favourite films is uh, Home Alone. Because he really loves the the slapstick, but I think maybe about ten or eleven, the idea that you can actually go out with your mates on your bike and go on an yeah. adventure and find pirates, and anyway, intimidate but, your Spanish maid as well. Yeah, yeah, that is a very funny bit, which they obviously cut on the ITV. Did they um, reruns because it was the watershed? So you have to actually buy buy your copy and relive those magical moments from out. Great, nice bit of light racism in the air. <laughs> In well, the eighties, 
Anyway, <laughs> anyway um, <clears throat> that was the Pirates, though, which we didn't touch on last bit. They, they were kind of coming towards the end of this glorious spell for rum, although it was a part of the nefarious rum trade, which we talked about last, last, uh, last episode. But essentially, it was at the point where it was the number one spirit in the world. It was all over the world as well. The Australians were also drinking a lot of rum and using it as currency. In fact, rum sales were used to uh, finance the first hospital in Sydney. It was built entirely on the, That's the, the profits of, of rum. Mm. And also, in Australia, you could buy a wife with a oh, full yeah. barrel, of, b- barrel of rum. No way. buy a wife. And sadly, if you drank that rum, you couldn't return your purchase. Really? <laughs> was, yeah, I mean, that's... Uh, yeah, what is that? So what, I come along with a bottle of rum and go... Who would, barrel. Barrel, barrel but who who would I give it to? Mm, the man who kept the wife. wife seller. Hello, Dave. She's <laughs> <laughs> my wife now. <laughs> <laughs> um, but who was selling the wives? <laughs> That sounds anyway. Oh, I mean, yeah. it, it was Australia. I guess, I guess you'd call him a pimp. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it was Australia. They were up to all sorts down there. Yeah. So, uh, but by the 19th century, the popularity of rum had dropped off. For a start, people, uh, European extraction, white people, finally started to realise that racism, the, the racism behind the whole slavery movement, which was a f- flipping horrific and uh, a horrible way to treat human beings. So they started to abolish slavery. Britain abolished slavery at home in 1807, but then in the colonies in 1833. And the French followed suit uh, 1817 and then 1848 in the colonies, respectively. And obviously that's by no means the end of the bad behaviour, but uh, still lots of wrongs done. But uh, at least they were starting to accept that slavery was, was horrific. And that impacted on the, sh- the sugar trade. The Americans were also, they were getting a bit leery as well. Uh, so they, they took a punt on a revolution um, oh. towards the end of the 18th century. Uh, just uh, we, we, we stepped back and we said, uh, you can have it, <laughs> it's big. And that's why they won that particular squabble. Yeah. And look, look at the mess they're in now. <laughs> they yeah. pr- they proved Careful it was a bit too big to dudes. handle. <laughs> Uh, so we let them have that. But uh, that is, started... uh, I don't want to go into politics here, Tom, but that's what struck me watching the American elections recently. Is that, it is, uh, you might have said it flippantly, it's too big. You, yeah. It is too yeah. vast yeah, yeah, yeah. to manage. It is. Well, I, I agree. And I think that if we look at our own country and the disconnect between London and somewhere like... Uh, well, I mean, the fact my wife didn't Manchester. know what Birmingham looked like yeah that's less than two hours away i feel we're in a pickle that we can resolve because it's not we're we're a big country but we're not that big but in america i mean how do the how do the democrats reach people in the middle of the country um i I just yeah it's it is too big and it's very different on either side of the coast as we know we've spent a lot of time there and written a book about it west coast usa beer guide which you can still buy on amazon and in some good charity shops. Uh, yeah. But it's a big country, you're right. Anyway, they they decided to cut ties with us and, and they started to really look at their own domestic um, booze. Without the sugar flooding into the country, they started making their own whiskey. And that's a picture behind me of uh, from 1783, the Samuels family, uh, who are supposedly the oldest mm. existing family who made 
whiskey, uh, maker's mark as it is today. Uh, and in 1821, we saw the first bourbon advert. So they were starting to pursue whiskey. The British, they were having a big, well, for a start, they were having a, a break from booze. Uh, the whiskey, the, the, the gin craze, which we've talked about extensively in the past, Ben, mm. meant um, they sort of stepped back a bit from booze. The 19th century saw the rise of the temperance movement there. It wasn't all bad. It wasn't all bad. They, did, they did have the gin palace emerge, which we were big fans of. Yep. Um, and they were drinking gin and tonics out in the tropics. I don't know if you can see that, but that's uh, an advert from Schweppes. You can't see the Schweppes at the top of there, but you can see 1878. Yeah, um, and they were taking tonic waters out into the world. They uh, worked out how to dilute the kinkona bark into water. They had, yeah. And uh, why were they doing that, Ben? To make tonic. Oh, because yeah, kinkona but... on its own tasted like tasted very bad. It did, but it was also protecting them. The kinkona. Oh, from, from him. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Because it was it was the pesky the mosquitoes, it, the parasites. Yeah. No, yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah all Winston Churchill yeah. said it saved more lives, the gin and tonic, than all the doctors in the empire. The empire, which was still bad news. Bad behavior. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, we were drinking a lot of tea because of that as well. We were drinking champagne, wine, beer. Whiskey distilling was made legal in 1823, so that started sloshing about a bit. And uh, we we turned our back a bit on rum. And the French, who were big rum producers... In the 19th century, they've been a massive player in, in the world of rub. They started pushing cognac all over the place right up until the point of um, phylloxera, which came in the late 19th century and, mm. and killed off a lot of the vineyards. But they were really promoting that. And Napoleon, interestingly... Um, I'll be the judge of that, Tom. <laughs> you, you can be the judge of whether this is interesting. Yeah, go on. But he, he brought about the, the beginning of the demise of French interest in the Caribbean sugar production. Because he uh, he instigated the processing of sugar from sugar beets, so this oh, is sugar beets su- beets that were growing in France, and he was using that for the sugar source rather than the sugar from the plantations in the Caribbean. So by 1839, there were over 450 factories in France producing more than 32 million kilograms of sugar a year from their own sources so they're so sneaky the french aren't they they're always like looking after them they're all little cartels aren't they look at napoleon there oh. just, just, that's, yeah. where is he just have a look at that little, to, to a point little idiot um where so so the where, sugar is where, is where, where is he where is he where is he where is he oh yeah look, we'll look picture, yeah. so he looks <clears> like um he looks like what's his chops who's the posh fellow out of the tories you know, the one that's draped over the uh, Houses of Commons. Oh, the posh lad. <laughs> doesn't narrow it down, does it? What's he doesn't called? really. Come on. <laughs> Come on, what's he called? Uh, the, with a double barrel name that did yeah. all the financial dealings. Um, yeah. uh, I've forgotten his name. I know anyway, you know the one. He looks like him. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, but the French, they kept their sugar interest in, in some of the islands and actually continued making rum agricole from sugar cane juice, which is a style of rum that deserves its own podcast, really. So we'll come back to that. Um, but a bit of a digression. Napoleon there, as we've got him got him mm-hmm. there. I, I know you you know a few bits and bobs about yeah. Napoleon. Well, I, I didn't co- know. I didn't know before well, you tell me your God. fact yeah, that right. he'd written a romantic novel, um, which was called Clisson et Eugenie. And there it is. And I actually had a little read of some of this, and it's, really? um, it's saucy. 
pretty pretty dreadful. And the the, the one standout line I managed to find was uh, a moment where his protagonist said, "I am worried and unhappy. I feel numb. Come to me without delay." And interestingly, coming without delay relates to Napoleon's general approach to pleasurable things. For instance, Napoleon ate his meals as fast as possible. He wasn't a foodie at all. Apparently he took barrels of Corvossier to St. Helena with him, but generally he wolfed down his food without giving it much thought. And women said he took the same approach over sex. Nothing wrong with that, Tom. They all said it was over too quickly. Very, very, very keen to reach the finishing point. It's like a broken record, isn't it? Yeah, so that's obviously what he was alluding to when he said, well, I feel numb, come without delay. <laughs> yes, well, I <laughs> well done, I couldn't buddy. see the name of the book because you're in front of it on the picture. Sorry, yeah. Eugenie. And at the top it says Bonaparte, which is obviously his name. But mm. if it's a romantic novel, that could be the name for it. Bonaparte, Bo- yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Um, but uh, other things you don't know about Napoleon is that um, we, he was born, do you know this? He was born with a several teeth already implanted in his gums. So he came out of his mummy's tummy. They uh, avec prob- dent. With, with some, yeah, avec, mm. avec les dents. Um, mm. And according to English folklore, this condition was unique among babies who were destined to conquer the world. Shut pretty, up. No, absolutely. Honestly, I, this is in our book. I did a whole, um, for Napoleon's birthday, I did a whole thing. And uh, I did extensive research, dusted books, dust, blew the dust of tomes in the British Library and discovered that this um, diminutive little data was destined to, to do what he did from, from birth because he had teeth. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I mean, there's a bit of a siren. There's a bit of a siren going there because uh, the the fact that he was really short is a bit of a myth, isn't it? Because he yes. wasn't actually. Oh, Tom, you've stolen my thunder. But you said you you described him as a diminutive man. Sorry, I was just well. Up well, on that. do you, do you know why we think he's small? Because he's five foot seven, which is quite small. Mm. Um, well, it's by not. Yeah, standard, it, by it's, t- yeah. By, yeah, but um, but back then when people were more little. Mm. Um, in general, uh, that was that was totally normal. The reason we mm. think he's so small is because in the British press, when we took the Mickey out of him, in cartoonists and newspapers, used to draw him as a little man in the palm of of um, English politicians. Um, so that's why, and obviously, right. there's no film coverage, no one can actually see what he looked like. Yeah. So everyone just and so Napoleon complex is is a myth. It's a misnomer. <laughs> Mm. Is that Miss Mama? It is now. Um, <laughs> so yeah. So okay. uh, he he was he was and he apparently very angry, very angry little man, angry well. average sized man. So there you go. And he had okay. uh, his teeth felt that's quite apparently it's not very common, but you're they're not actual they're not the teeth that you keep. They fall out after a while. Right, a bit um, like uh, crocodiles that just keep. When a tooth falls out, it goes back forever. They just have thousands of teeth. Um, what do you mean? Well, they do. They never. They always have. They always replace their teeth. Crocodiles. So you never lose them. They, so they, they never got dentures. That's. I mean, I thought Napoleon was was an aside to our run history, but sorry, I'm I'm really 
Uh, all right, well, let's get, let's get our teeth into something else, Tom. What's the next bit? Come nice, on. nice. Great, a snappy retort. Yeah. Uh, that's crocodiles as well. And yes, well, we were talking about rum, and so the French weren't really into it. Um, we have to wait, really. The whole of the 19th century sees a decline in rum production and rum, rum sales as everyone who liked rum starts, drink, starts drinking everything else. So we have to wait till the 20th century, and that brings us a bit closer to the modern day, doesn't it? The 20th century, yeah, it's closer. The century before the one we're in now is uh, sees sees rum start to claw its way back a bit, and one of the earliest ways it does that is during um, prohibition, which oh. might seem quite strange. Prohibition. Now, these are actual rum barrels that the Americans, the daft Americans, who booze banned booze. Uh, emptying perfectly good rum onto the streets, morons. The the prohibition, era of prohibition might not seem like a time that would be good for any particular uh, booze style, but rum did quite well during prohibition. We all have heard of the term bootleggers. Yes. Apparently, this originated during the Civil War when soldiers would sneak liquor into army camps by concealing their pint bottles in their boots beneath their trousers. Really? A bit like um uh what's his chops in the Great Escape when he lets all the gravel out of his um trousers. Exactly like that, yeah. And um uh, although he yeah that was that was better than coming off a bit of a drink, he was actually escaping the Nazis. But they would put the, <laughs> the, the bottles in their boots and that's where we get the term bootlegger. But another term for people who were bootlegging or bringing alcohol to people during this time it was illegal were the rum runners. Yeah. Rum running uh, is more commonly applied as a term to people who would bring it in overseas. They would bring the, the booze on boats. And in particular, the ships were coming from the Bahamas and they were taking cheap Caribbean rum into the speakeasies in Florida initially. So this was a massive industry and the rum started making its way up the East Coast. Uh, it was cheaper. So it, did, it wasn't necessarily as popular as um, as some of the other quality quality illegal made booze in, in the, the US. But it was still doing very well, particularly down in places like Florida. One of the most famous rum runners was a man called Bill McCoy. And there's a picture of Bill for anyone who can see our screens. There's good old he looks, Bill McCoy. He, he looks like a very sort of sensible kind of fella well 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 then you really are a judge of character don't judge a book by its cover apart from uh bonaparte's uh yeah. this this guy was uh was was a very nice chap and he is probably the most famous of all the rum runners he smuggled his booze on his schooner which he stood on there which was called the tomoka and um actually there was a, a shop in my town in Harbinham called tomoka spirits in honour of that, uh, but uh, most rum runners would add water to the rum to lengthen it a bit, obviously, oh. make it a bit more profitable. But McCoy became famous because he didn't add any water and he only he only sold the top quality Caribbean rum, uh, which he could get into the country. Good. And it was, it was n known as very, very good quality rum and led some people to assume that the term the real McCoy comes from this man uh, he right. was bringing in real rum unfortunately on further inspection that that phrase has appeared in print in 1882 so while we love to drop facts like that into our shows and now content, my, see what i would have done true. if i'd unearthed that misfact 
Yeah, I would have ignored the fact. I would have. Yeah. I would kept. I would have just ignored the fact that it's not true. Yeah, we have done that in the past as well. But yeah, uh, yeah. but I think because... unfortunately this one popped up on Wikipedia. So this oh, is good. coming here, you know. Our primary source. There, you, <laughs> if your primary source is indicating it's not true, yeah. you can't really find it anywhere else. So no, it appears in print in 1882. But I bet you people did say it about it. No, they did. They called his yeah. gear the real McCoy. It just it didn't necessarily. I mean, mean that's also, that's uh, that's quite coincidental that he called mccoy i think so and the longer we talk about this and the more i think about it we'll maybe phase that back in after a month or so yeah and say it's true and use yeah. it as a true fact if you just keep but, saying enough it's true yeah exactly i mean if, but if, he, if, <laughs> get brexit done oh <laughs> it must be true talking of viz uh a f- friend a writer a journalist Justin Quirk managed to get a, an entry into the Profanosaurus. Right. It's um, it's uh, I, I won't do it justice because I can't think of it exactly off the top of my head. But it was uh, this is not the Brexit I voted for, which is apparently something you shout out after you've passed wind, but you follow through and shout yourself. <laughs> That's not the Brexit I voted for. And he's got into the Profanosaurus. So a quick shout out to Justin. Fair yep. play. That's his second entry into the Profanosaurus. Really? That is, oh, man, that's good. Yeah, that man, good yeah he's doing well. <laughs> yeah, he really did say that. I can just kick back now. My work here is done. Oh. I agree. That, uh, he has also written a, a fantastic book about the... Uh, Glamrock. Glamrock, um, which I'll, I'll suddenly, the name of the book's jumped out of my head so we'll have to mention it next time and i'll mention the name of the book. Um, van halen died in the last couple of weeks as well Eddie van yeah halen. pretty timely search justin quirk on amazon and you'll find his book it's a brilliant yeah. book about that scene anyway another digression this guy yeah. mccoy Come never actually paid a, a cent to organized crime or politicians law enforcement anyone like that nothing nefarious he was a, he was a good dude all around um, but actually, a lot of the rum drinking was being done in cuba in in the the region cuba. where he was bringing it in and uh, more flights were going to Cuba from Florida than any time in the history of um, American flight. I think, in fact, it was one of the most uh, regular flights anywhere out of America because, of course, in, it was very close. And in Cuba, you could drink and you could gamble. So people like this guy, Al Capone and his cronies were going down there and drinking. But anyone with a bit of money, you could jump on a plane. And indeed, a lot of bartenders went over to Cuba from America uh, during the 20s. We think about them going to places like the Savoy in London or Harry's Bar in Paris. But a lot of them went to Cuba because there was work there. So they would set up at places like uh, Floridita's, Sloppy Joe's, these these bars that emerged in Cuba during the 1920s. And all of them, of course, were drinking rum. The mm. Americans, they bought Coca-Cola to, to Cuba in the late 19th century. So that gave us the Cuba Libra. We talked about the daiquiri in the mm. first episode in the Mojito with, with Drake. So rum was alive and well in Cuba and the Americans were really enjoying it. But by the end of Prohibition, it didn't stick. Uh, the, 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 the problem for, for rum then was that it was a, an aged spirit. When the distilleries restarted in, in America, they didn't have time to age their spirits. So they started to look more towards vodka. By the 1950s, there's a Mad Men. Roger, you could bash it out quickly, couldn't you? You could yeah, bash out you could gin. It. it was cheaper vodka. to make. Um, and whiskey highballs were knocking around. They were trying to put a bit more emphasis on their whiskey making. 
but um and and in the uk we were flirting more with gin the savoy cocktail book had come out in the 1930s a lot of cocktail recipes there were, were made with gin yeah so you could say really the 20th century you had this spike in the beginning and then it started to plateau and rum lost its way again but there was one movement then wasn't there that helped yes there was there was cool. a uh, an undercurrent of uh, there was a little sort of revolutionary rum movement that was called in general what we know it now as tiki mm. now let's get a picture of the tiki man up hang on as you can see it's not a real man that we can really identify with as a person but tiki in the mythology of of some polynesian peoples tiki was the first man on earth uh, who was uh, created by the god Tumatawanga. And there's a story behind the whole tiki thing. Is one day at Tiki, he saw a woman swimming in a lake and was overcome by her beauty. Funny enough, Tom, that happened to me once in Brentford Leisure Centre, and I had to um, hang around a deep end until things died down a bit. Um, she was a dancer from Grot. Do you remember Grot Bags? No, somebody out the door. There's somebody, do you remember that? She was a dancer. I do remember she, that, yeah. On yeah. Grot Bags, Rodden Emu. Um, mm. And she commented, she told me that uh, I didn't have it, my legs weren't very hairy. So I told her that I was a Tour de France rider. I was mm. 14. So that didn't. Well, I'll, sorry raise you, I'll, ra I'll raise you your swimming pool story and tell you that when I was eight right. yeah. and we went for a swimming lesson with the school, I kissed a girl underwater. At the age wow. of eight. That's good. Like, like, there's, a two, um, there's a double, there's a double whammy there. Like lady killer, not quite. She she could swim, she could hold yeah. her breath. But lady killer. And what a proficient swimmer I was at the age yeah, of eight. Yeah, when your pajamas, you just go down and pick up a brick. <laughs> we were going down to pick up a brick <laughs> and I got off with her. No, no tongues. Just that is good. obviously you open your mouth and all <laughs> the water comes in. The, anyway, there we go. The last time Stories the last time I went to Brentford Leisure Centre. Uh, I went with my two boys and my brother, who's, um, well, now he's in his 50s. Mm. 52. He won't, he won't, be, 53 actually, but he won't, he won't be happy. I told you that. But anyway, he, <laughs> someone, we were, we were just swimming about and then all these whistles started being blown by the uh, lifeguards because apparently they found a poo. Someone had done a poo in the pool and my brother stood up and started walking along on the side with his hands up going sorry sorry everybody sorry everybody <laughs> oh it's funny it was funny very funny yeah 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 anyway okay. um let's get back to <laughs> uh so the, there's so uh this the woman so so yeah so tiki saw a woman swimming in a lake and was overcome by her beauty the woman called hinny apparently seduced uh tiki and the two eventually got married Mm. Which was a bit so. It's a bit like um, a bit like Adam and Eve, but Their with, version of it. Yeah. But, yeah, but it's a happier. I mean, happier ending, and mm. it's on a nicer. You know, Garden of Eden was nice, but this was on a lovely tropical island, probably with an all-you-can-eat buffet. Mm. Um, but there's another version of the Tiki Tale, Tom, uh, which is a little bit more, more elaborate. Tiki Tiki saw his reflection in a pool, but covered the water with dirt so that the image could not escape. Now the dirt, this this where it gets a little bit tall. This story, the ter the dirt developed into a woman. <laughs> <You know laughs> right. 
<laughs> Sorry, <laughs> everybody. <laughs> Sorry, everybody. <laughs> when you say dirt. <laughs> no, it was dirt. And one day when the woman was bathing, an eel entered the water and the woman experienced a feeling of desire. It's, was it an eel? <laughs> I think it was an eel. And then, so basically she was all, she was all a little bit, um, sort of uh, hot and bothered a flutter a flutter. a flutter yeah she was all yes mm. and so she she then decided to, to seduce tiki inspired uh, by the eel um that is close to adam and eve isn't it because that's the sort of yeah, was, yeah lots of yeah a lot of serpents a lot of eels but mm. as freud once said sometimes a cigar is just a cigar so let's not get too filthy I'll about it. Tell that to Bill Clinton. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, American politics. Yeah. So anyway, there we go. So, so that's Tiki. So there, it's it became a, a, obviously a big spiritual. Yeah, yeah. So there's there's loads culture. of Polynesian history. There's amazing ancestor worship, uh, and we could delve deep into it, but instead we're going to be ignorant idiots and gloss over it because we haven't got the time to do it, to be perfectly honest. And whatever we, and that might have seemed disrespectful, but it's nowhere near as disrespectful as the way that Tiki culture was treated by the Americans back then because they turned these beautiful religious symbols into essentially cups <laughs> and colourful straws. Um, which I mean, that is they just basically can't as a way to perpetuate the beauty of the culture, isn't it? Well, if you think about it, it's quite interesting because if you were to do that with other cultures, I mean, the more uh, wow, what's a good well, way put Jesus it? put the cup of Christ into yes. a cocktail? Well, if you, yeah, I mean, I mean, Christianity, I'd say, is out there with the more sort of relaxed when it comes yeah. to uh, but even appropriating that would, that would cause. Deep. Yeah, but there's a couple of others where I'd go. If you start filling, shaping cups of them, and putting alcohol in it, mm. there'd be a lot of noise. Let's mm. <laughs> not get into this vibe. No, 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 no. Anyway, of, of so anyway, that gives you an idea. So there's, there's, um, there's it was, yeah. it's, an, it's, it's a shame because yeah. it's worth exploring. So there are lots of fantastic stories around. Yeah, but the tiki, the tiki, tiki became a byword for a sort of uh, uh, a sort of fun fun filled uh lifestyle and by the 1930s americans were using it to describe a style of food and drink inspired by these islands of the south pacific so there was um and so they, they had theme menus um matching crab rangoon with um, and they had something called bongo bongo soup cups different times different times and they were matching these with tropical drinks and it became a bit of a craze particularly on the west coast with rum very much at the centre. It's very much the cornerstone of the whole tiki culture. Mm. Um, and one of the only earliest tiki bars, um, and the, the very was was um, uh, was Ernest Raymond Beaumont Gantz. Was it, that was the man that owned it, and it was called Don Beach. And let's, let's have a little look at him. <clears throat> Where is he? Where is he? That's what he. That was what he changed his name to, wasn't it? And the, his Beach, bar, yeah, I think, initially yeah, yeah. was called Don the Don the Beach Coma. Yes. Um, have you got a picture of? Yes, there it is. You've got it. There, nice. I've got it there. Yeah. So, um, but I've got a picture of Don behind me. You've got his bar. Yeah. So Ernest uh, Raymond. Um, Ernest was a good name. It's quite common around there at that time, wasn't it? It was quite. I like it, Ernie. Ernie. Uh, Ernie. 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 <laughs> anyway, 
he was recognized. He's basically the founding father of Tiki Drinks. He was an American mm. adventurer and spent adventurer, and he spent his early life traveling the world, the island stopped all over the place, the Caribbean, the South Pacific. Um, and he and he was inspired by what he saw, and, and he became a bootlegger. Let's go back to oh, you mentioned yes. earlier during Prohibition. So, yeah. Um, so when Prohibition ended in 1933. He saw the opportunity in bars and he brought all his experience, all of what he's seen together in his first Hollywood venue, which was called Don the Beachcomber. Yeah. Spices. So he added ingredients like orgiet, orgit, orgit. Is that you say? Orgiat. 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 I think the French say orgiat. Yeah, orgiat. Well, because I'm so cosmopolitan <clears throat> European, that's how I say it. For learning to drink. So there's loads of citrus, there's lime, pineapple, rum. It was. Um, and they, they were, it was a kind of, um, it was a kind of a sort of outrageous antidote to the cocktails that had shaped cocktail culture up until that point. So you had the martinis mm. and Manhattan, very slick, very, very alcoholic, very sort of straight and classic. Um, whereas these, these are sort of par- party drinks, weren't they? Um, they were. And the venues were a bit odd, weren't they? I got a picture, I put a picture up behind me of one of these venues and they were. Uh... Yeah, full of weird sort of knickknacks, Indonesian knickknackery, yeah. yeah, um, strange bits and bobs, lots of bamboo, yeah, um, love a bit of bamboo. Um, and you've got, um, yeah, I mean, you've got Polynesian knickknacks, that's the best way I can put it, really. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> I mean, if you see, see the some of the pictures, they've yeah, got, it's, like, all, it's all rattan and stuff like that, and, and nets, fishing nets. In a bar, not yeah. useful, but it's kind of to create a bit of a theme, wasn't it? Um, but but it, it, it can—I mean, now it's now it? it can possibly come across as I mean a, a touch cliched, but back then, obviously, it was a real deal. It was the mm. real McCoy Tom. Um, Ooh, nice. So the bar, the bar itself became a favorite, favorite, favorite with all the famous faces and sunset, sunset strip, um, and um, and he Don was quite—he was—he was quite a. A dude, he would he would trick people into staying longer in his bar by setting up a sprinkler on the roof, and when it looked like people was was beginning to sort of drift off, he'd turn it on to make it look like it was raining outside, so they stay and get another drink in. What a ah, legend! Um, a legend. And apparently, it was full of bawdy, foul-mouthed birds, um, not women, Tom, but minor Good. birds. See what I've done there? Yeah, minors. Uh, Mine, no, miners weren't allowed. Mm. Um, they had the big lights on their hats were distracted by them. Um, so no, so that was that was Don the Beachcomber, and then you've got another fella, another founding father, another player in the tiki tiki time, um, Trader Vic. Mm. And his his real name was Victor Bigeron, 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 <clears throat> that's big let's call him Vic he opened Vic, Hinky well, Dinks call him Trader Vic that's easier <laughs> yeah, that's his name um, and he opened Hinky Dinks as he did a, there was a bit of, he did a bit of Polynesian cuisine in there he did a bit of Chinese food um, it's in Oakland he did loads of rum cocktails um, and he also um, I mean his alter ego um, in 1930s Bogan was he was the trader and his bar was Trader Vic's and his bar had a selection of seafaring stuff 
um, you know, it was a bit like Donna Beach yeah, Gomez with full of bric a brac and bamboo yeah. beachside nonsense. They had weird shit on the walls like fishing that. Rangoon, Rangoon, Rangoon furniture. Rangoon yeah, furniture, Rattan. No, Rattan. 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 Yeah, yeah, Rattan furniture. Yeah. I don't know. I, I, um, we're 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 trying to. We need to get a seat, a uh, chair in our living room, and Rattan came up, and I was like, no, I don't think. I don't think that's the future. Mm. I think you go all or nothing with this sort yeah, of crop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm not putting. I'm not putting like voodoo stuff on the ceiling and stuff. Um, <laughs> scare, scare the kids. Um, anyway, so there's wood carved cups. Good. You um, can put them in there if they've been naughty. That's true. <laughs> it's like, yeah, it's like the loft with the wasps. <laughs> get out, kids! It's scary in here. I'm watching Sky Sports. Anyway, 1950. Um, but, but this all caught on. So these bars, these bamboo-laden tiki bars with very outrageous, colourful cocktails were, were became quite the thing. By the 1950s, 50s, tiki tourist bars were springing up all over the country and everyone who was drinking in them was drinking rum. Now, some of the classic cocktails being served in these places, the bartenders obviously still make today, include the zombie, which is Thunder Beach Coma, uh, which is a very potent mix of overproof pot still rum, clear rum, like Diplomatico Planas, and the strong age rum like like uh like a Di- Diplomatico Reserva Exclusiva. Um and then you've got the Mai Tai, which Trader Vic created. And again, a picture of that one, Ben. There we go. Well, let's have a look. There <clears> we go. <throat> um which if, if you you can on the Diplomatico website you can get the um you can get the uh, the uh the recipe and the method. Um and that was that was Trader Vic's. Now Trader Vic still actually has um, a place in Park Lane in in London. They relaunched it a few years back, um, and they didn't tone down the uh, that that kind of thankfully the tongue in cheek cheekiness. It still feels like you walk into an episode of Magnum PI, um, um, and they have they do um, they like to think they're the spiritual home of the Mai Tai, or at least the, uh, the its namesake in San Francisco. Um, and they've got more than 10 versions on the menu. Well, at least they did when I last went in. Um, and they've got rum classics and plenty of punches, uh, rum punches as well. So the Mai Tai is, um, it's a, it is a classic. It's, it's a really fun drink. Um, and uh, you've got two types of the Diplomatico. They've got the Planas, the Mantuano. So I put 25 mil of each of those in there. With 10 mil of orange liqueur, or Curacao. Uh, you've got 20 mil of lime juice, a bit of orgeat, which they haven't mentioned in the, on the Diplomatico website, but uh, that, that almond aspect is quite, almond aspect is quite important. And then you've got the pineapple juice as well. So um, you serve it straight up, all ingredients in a shaker, crushed ice, bit of dilution, shake and serve uh, into a tall glass. Or if you've got one, a tiki mug. And I've got a tiki mug, which I stole from Trader Vic's. Have that. Oh. Come, and, come and cuff me, guys. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a good one. We sh- we shouldn't steal things. No, no. no. I like I, I I like that drink. Uh, it, it's sort of in that environment. Sometimes yes. those fruity you, the orgia can be a bit overpowering. But so you don't have to add it if you don't like that that strong almond flavour. But what's good about that drink? And yeah, like Ben said, you can go onto the um, Diplomatico website and you can find the recipe on there. So I'll show you how to make it and what it should look like. But it's the fact that they've got the the Diplomatico have used two different styles of rum in there. And as Ben was sort of saying, the, the tiki, 
idea is you can you can use different types of rum and if you've got a range that's got all the different rums in it like um, a white or a clear rum and a slightly aged rum and a overproof rum as well then you can start mucking about with all the tiki recipes and that mantuano that they've got there is uh, is yeah. their eight-year-old and um, they've used um, mantuano I should say means nobleman which reflects the Don Don Juancho status. We talked about him last in the last episode. Is mm-hmm. man who travelled around and collected rum, and <clears throat> um, they they use a lot of different rum techniques in there. So they've also to make that they've they've used their pot still, they've used a batch kettle still, uh, they've used molasses and sugarcane honey rum. So lots of different techniques going into making that, and it's it's the one to pick up if you are interested in exploring rum cocktails. And we've talked a bit about how rum was making its way back through the, the 20th century. It did, it did go off the boil a little bit then. And it wasn't until really the 90s and in places like London and New York, where the bartender community was starting to re-explore classic cocktails, go into the old mm. history books and uh, and slightly inspired by the, the tiki thing that they, they read more about and, and a revival of a bit of a tiki theme and some of those party rum drinks but they really got back into into the world of rum and while it's taken us consumers drinkers non-bar people a little longer to get to get back on board they've been driving rum since the 90s really and in the last 20 years particularly we've seen loads of great rum cocktails being revived or new innovation in them and uh, we taste the diplomatico reserva exclusiva in our shows which is the 12-year-old, um, and is a quite a rich, sweet Diplomatico rum that's great for sipping neat. If you're new to rum, we've seen it completely change people's perceptions of the spirit, but it's also really good in cocktails. And one of the cocktails that has done particularly well in recent times is the Rum Old Fashioned, which is based on the Old Fashioned, which is actually the oldest cocktail on record, isn't it, Ben? I think, is that right? Is that all the... Sazerac, I think, isn't Sazerac. They say it's the it's the, uh, the the oldest recorded recipe for a cocktail, um, and in in the more modern age of bartending, people have just picked up and sort of riffed, riffed. We can say. Well, the old fashioned is is what's great is the old fashioned. You can riff on it because the base spirit, because it's a very simple cocktail. It's a very very easy cocktail to get wrong. In fact, so which is what I'm telling you as you're about to make it make one um but uh but rum slides into the uh slides into replace uh american whiskey very very well it's like you know it's just it does does work very well in an old-fashioned i mean people have been you've got the hacker old-fashioned which you can make with mezcal or, and tequila but you you but you can make it with a scotch whiskey single malt whiskey but um but rum is especially especially a dark rum like this works wonderfully well in an old fashioned too. It does, yeah. Um, now the old fashioned is quite, it's quite a simple uh, simple drink. You're going to need about five mil of sugar syrup in there. Um, three large dashes of Angostura bitters. We talked about Angostura bitters a bit in episode mm-hmm. one, of course. Conceived in Venezuela, uh, now made in Trinidad and Tobago, and you're going to need 50 mils of Reserva Exclusiva Diplomatico rum. And you put that into a mixing glass and you can just stir it carefully. 
over good ice. And you're gonna pour it into a rocks glass over ice. As you can see there, Ben, I've prepared some ice that's a little bit better than the stuff that comes out of my freezer normally. Um, and it's slightly clearer and it's a nice big carved chunk, if you can see that. Very oh, nice. How did you make that, Tom? <clears throat> I put it in the kids' sandwich box. Um, I put boiled water in there, which sounds a bit over elaborate, but you can make a massive block of it and then you can cut it up. And then people think, oh, he's, he's, he's got some nice ice there. Um, and it's and it, you, the best part. That, I mean, is that something you've always wanted people to say about you, Tom? He makes the school gates for people going, See that skinny guy over there, the one who looks like he's about to die. You know what they're he, saying at the front of the school <laughs> gates? <laughs> they're saying, Are you guys doing okay? Because before we um, came on air, uh, I was telling on air, Mason Sam Rope. Smart, but everyone, but people, everyone keeps stopping me and asking if I'm all right because we're not in theatres. Uh, and I say yes, even though we're not. Even though we're not. Well done, Tom. That looks brilliant. Yeah, um, really good. I think the point that people are making to us at the moment is, well, so you see, you thought you could make a career out of dancing around in your pants on stage. Yeah. Well, there's no theatres. Yeah. What are you doing now, you yeah. jack and apes? <laughs> well, well, we're just talking about drinks to these guys on, on this. Um, so there's your rum old-fashioned. Really easy. Put some nice ice in it. I put a nice big orange peel in there. If you just twist that over the top and run it around the rim. So yeah, stick. nice. Mm-hmm. Oh, such a good drink. It's so easy, really. And it, I mean, the Diplomatico Reserva Exclusiva is quite a rich, sweet rum already. So it's a real crowd pleaser as well. I found actually that while people do comment on the ice, and that makes me feel quite yeah, clever, the ladies, um, they drink this drink because it's very easy drinking and mm. it's very tasty. Just stir it over ice, really straightforward. Uh, it's a good example of, of what the modern bartenders have, have been doing, but obviously. They're a bit more creative. That recipe is on the Diplomatico site. But if you go to cocktail bars in London now, they put their own twist on these things and they um, they add bespoke ingredients. Um, mm. And we should mention, actually, that now is a good time to go to a, to a, to a cocktail bar because despite uh, Rishi and Johnson well, and the other bum clowns who keep doing things like curfews and changing times and saying that 10 p.m. is when the virus is most active, even though I think it's pretty active during the day as well. Mm. Uh, the bars are still fighting on and London Cocktail Week is still going on. It's going on for the whole of October. So it's still happening. You can still go down there and see uh, great bartenders making great drinks and you can get great drinks at a decent price. They have reduced yeah. prices if you get a wristband. And all the details for that are on londoncocktailweek.com. Yeah, get involved. Um, and we're recording this on a Thursday, and there's um, rumours are rife that further lockdowns are k- kicking in. So mm. get yeah. down there as quick, <laughs> quick as you get can. Get down while you can, man. Because yeah. uh, while we uh, we make drinks at home and we, we're reasonably good at it, we're not as good at it as the, no, uh, the bartenders. You, you go to a place aren't. called um, 
to happiness forgets yeah over in shortage because uh, diplomatico run of work with happiness forgets one of the best bars in the world that's not yeah. just us saying it they, they've listed in the top 50 bars of the world the industry has voted it one of the best bars in the world it is fantastic they really know what they're doing down there and they're a big part of london cocktail week they're doing some diplomatic serves down there you can order the two barrels which is made with the reserva exclusiva uh, and the Wilson, which is made with the Planus, which is like a milk punch, very tasty beverage. And upstairs in Ever After, they have a, they have an old fashioned served there with the Mantuana. So go and check that out. Um, and so while you're waiting for episode three, go and do that. Support yeah. our bars. Go and drink Diplomatico in a run. Um, and um, and you'll also be able to taste this there if you if you ask of the bartender for something from the family collection they'll they'll be able to serve you a sneaky little shot of this you don't have to pay for it but uh, it's the the new rum that's come out from diplomatico mm-hmm. now if you like the reserva exclusiva um but you've got used to that and you want to sort of take your rum tasting in a different direction then this bad boy the selection de fam familia familia familia, familia. Selection de Familia is, um, is uh, and it's another 12 year old, uh, co- but they've rested this in a combination of white oak, um, mm. ex bourbon, and ex sherry casks. And this is, um, is a slightly drier expression. Yeah. Not quite, as, it doesn't have that sweet touch. Yeah, it's got a little light drier edge to it. So it's a, it's a bit more complex. So it's a great um addition to those diplomatico ranges and it gives you somewhere else to go um and it's going to re- be retailing uh and 55 pound mark you can get that on a whiskey exchange we're not just brushing over this one we're going to taste this properly in the final part of our run yeah. mini series and we talk a bit more about the aging process and what the wood does to different rums we're going to be encouraging you to sip things neat yeah um, we were lucky enough to taste this with Nelson Hernandez, who is the, the, the one of the main rum producers at the Diplomatico distillery. So he's told us all about this. So we'll be able to talk you through this and some of the other neat rums. So what I propose, Ben, is that if anyone's listening, they get onto the whiskey exchange and they buy up some Diplomatico rum ahead of the next episode so that we can talk them through it. Yeah. And get some chocolate. Get some chocolate. Yeah, settle down, enjoy it. We deserve it. So, thank you very much for for uh, choosing our podcast again. Thanks for listening. Thank you to Diplomatico Rums, who've given us lots yep. of lovely rum to play with, and um, and we will look forward to sipping some neat rum with you in the final episode next time. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers.